Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A uh, fun, filled, filled, a fun, filled podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by a by a fervent and tear-filled fan, and a frankly fascinated first-timer. Yes, and this well, is the story. So Farscape. Farscape. Yes, welcome oh. to another episode. This is season three, episode four. Wait for the wheel. The second part of the self-inflicted wound, two-parter. And it's a pretty notable episode that, uh, well, why don't we why don't we sort of talk about what happened in it? Yeah. Well, what happens in it is that, uh, as according to our listeners at least, yes, Jenna says, prepare to be starkly gutted, sabotage, spikes, sacrifice, simultaneous schemes and shedding. There's more than one <laughs> snake about Moya and Crichton's grandmother is a Robert Jordan fan. Huh. Who's Crichton's grandmother? I don't get it. Oh. I well don't oh wait ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, uh, uh. yeah. wait for the wheel which is also the title of this episode is yeah. paraphrased from a quote that Crichton attributed to his grandmother she said that mm. the my grandmother used to say that life is a great wheel sometimes it grinds you down to the mud and other times it lifts you up into the light and so it's the wheel right. of yes. time that makes sense yes right robert jordan oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. That I get was it. I get good. it. Yes. Yeah, very good. And uh, from the derp, we have when even bravery cannot stop bleeding kidneys, and sadly friendships ruin mu- multiple takes. We learn that unequivocally, this crew is a family. Thank you, the sure. derp. That is because, yeah, we should probably talk about the ending first before we even talk about the episode because, okay, Zan dies, or at least appears to do so. Okay. <laughs> I know that I've invited you to make predictions, but Zan is dead. Okay. And I'm telling you that now, like, I've thought a long time about whether to tell you this or whether to leave you in that innocence, because we were left in that innocence. Even, like, I I looked at old chat logs where they asked, is she definitely gone? Well, I can't say. Yes, she is. All right. Virginia Hay, unfortunately... Left uh, the series in season three. Yes. Uh, it's a bit of a complicated situation to explain, but I, God, I sort of feel like a parent sitting their child down to tell them the <laughs> truth about the Easter Bunny. Okay. And uh, that the dog did not go to a farm upstate. <laughs> <laughs> so she suffered health complications from the, from the makeup, mm. uh, bleeding kidneys, mm. and the lack of sleep, because she had to be, you know, she had to be in like two or three hours earlier than everybody and stay another two hours to have it removed or Damn. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was taking her toll taking its toll on her health, not to mention her her human femininity. Like she her she yeah. shaved her head and her eyebrows. Yeah. Which for a woman whose beauty has been such a part of her life was quite a sacrifice. So like they'd worked on a on a bunch of different possibilities. One of them was to be planted in the ground right. and then come back for like six episodes a season and she could grow her hair back and they'd do a, a bald cap or she'd dye her hair or something. They, yeah. they they explored all that and um or they could put a Babylon five on her and uh, a what? Babylon 5, where, what's her name? The actress who starts off as, uh, yeah, one of the bald aliens, then does her, her cocoon transformation and actually comes back with hair. Oh, Delenn. So Delenn, yeah. that's the one, yes. Which I don't know that's her own hair. I think that she's still wearing a wig. Oh, but- wow. Yeah, that <laughs> make it even more complicated. But- <laughs> Damn. All right. So yeah, that's a, shame, so, that's a shame to see her go. Then it's yeah. a it's a real shame. Like nobody wanted it, but ultimately the decision that Virginia Hay made, she did want to continue. Mm-hmm. Everybody, uh, everybody did. So that made this episode like particularly, you know, uh, it was emotional. Very emotional. Yes. <laughs> like, so multiple takes were ruined because Gigi. Edgley and Virginia Hay had become very good friends. Yeah. And so when they did their goodbye scene, like neither of them could really keep it under control. And they both started crying and then their makeup started running and they looked like two melting ice creams. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they had to stop and redo all the makeup several times. Damn, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I just want to share this with you because it's, it's kind of a harsh thing because I remember what a torment it was for myself back in the day thinking, oh, they're going to, yeah, no, there was an orange glow after the ship exploded. Right. She's going to come back and she still doesn't come back and you're just and, waiting and then there waiting. Was the, there, there was like the ghost of Zahn peeking out through, through the window right, at, uh, at John there. right at the end, yeah. And there's not, because like there's great joy in sort of wondering where things are going to go and whether they're going to happen, but yeah. there's, there's actually just mounting disappointment in hoping for something that, that then doesn't. And right. I wanted to spare you. I mean, that. I assume that, did she get taken off of the credit roll for the next episodes? You know, I don't know for sure. I assume so. 
Uh-huh. That would kind of be a giveaway uh, if they like that. Ooh, it's going to be a uh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's keep an eye on that. Then again, oh, the, like the credits are sort of contractual things as well. Like uh, uh, a Crace or, or sorry, uh, right. Malitupu has been credited in the opening titles. We have not seen him in these episodes. No, true, right? But he is credited as a regular for this season because mm. that affects your pay scale as an actor as well. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I guess at least at the start of season four, it would become obvious because she would not at all be in there right. anymore. Yeah. But I guess that they must have been like working towards this that they brought her back for season three, uh, as in yes, uh, and then decided like, yeah, we're going to do four episodes in season three, and that's going to be the end of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was part of the season two season three break that uh, Virginia Hay and the producers uh, David Kemper yeah. uh, like had all these talks and, and and with her agents as well, and trying to work out because she just couldn't handle twenty two episodes a year with yeah with the effects it was having on her health, and it's uh, it's. <sighs> Yes, it's it's heartbreaking, and I I sort of felt felt a little bit bad as you were making those predictions about how she'd be healed. And but this is the yeah. end of the end of uh, Virginia Hayes' contribution to uh, Farscape. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed every time she I saw her. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's like it's a little bit sad to hear that she is uh, no longer part of the series going forward. But yeah, I'm still it's... looking forward to seeing the rest of it. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'm, I quit. Like, no, no more, no more Zahn, I quit. <laughs> I'm sure there were a few people. I do hope that they came around because there's, uh, there's, there is indeed a lot more to enjoy. And gosh, what a send-off they gave her. Yes. Right? For, for, like, for an actress as well as for this character, you really get like all of Zahn in this episode, even as we'd remarked that we didn't get a lot of Zan in season two, aside from a glorious turn as yes. the space pirate, the pirate with the parrot. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay, shall we dive in? Yes. Music. Um. <laughs> yeah. Prepare to stubborn. So, opening is a recap, reminding us the situation on board. Moya was pierced, essentially, by an alien ship in the shape of... A helix a, of pods. Oh, helix, that's the word. Yes. Gosh, why didn't I get that? A helix of pods connected, and they've been, like, temporarily uh, overlapping each other's space because they met inside a wormhole and there was a collision, which is really quite rubbish for a ship of wormhole explorers and they were yeah. like oh that's weird there's never anybody else here and so they're kind of like you're wormhole explorers you should be able to have the possibility of running into someone else who yeah. this, is, this being the nature of wormholes but yes yeah they they go from port to port like apparently i guess they sort of compare them to i guess like highways and they just never expected anybody to be standing still on an yep. off-ramp right but they're still the highway explorers uh, and I mean, Moya was just sitting outside one of the wormhole apertures, yeah, just minding too. her own business. Yeah, and then they popped in and out and banged into her, and they take over the spring. There's like a lot of the, the the techno stuff that's going on in the other in the previous episode. It's completely kind of like hand waved away almost. All, oh, other like than what? The, what are you? What are well, you? there was there was the whole thing where they were doing the exploration of the wormhole environment. Wormhole, normal space. Wormhole. I guess it was done to introduce the hope for John that it might be a portal back to Earth. Yes. Uh, but I think it also came back, uh, 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 Pilot brags that because of the integrated impulse data, he was able to create a statistical model. Right, like that. yes. Impulse data from each test of their generator was stored in Moyer's neural circuitry allowing me to construct a statistical model. Yeah, 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 whatever. I trust you to do the math. Yeah, it's a David Kemper episode, and he likes his techno-babble, his escape no babble Right, and there was a lot of a lot of running around and fixing things, and it, it, it kind of, like, feels a bit weird. It, it's almost more noticeable in Farscape than it is in Star Trek, because... because it's so unusual exactly, to have so in, much science in the fiction. Well, I'm, I was going to say because in Star Trek it always looks like they're 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 pushing buttons and doing things and making connections, and in oh, in Farscape like so. it kind of looks much more like they're just running around and like you know the things are sparking and and yeah they're they're doing they're they're clearly doing technical things, but it doesn't look like they're doing technical things because it's like 
yeah, they're, it's a living ship. It, it, it looks so yes, different. Yes, you're right. So that makes it a lot more noticeable that they're just really well, running around and make busy. Just running around, right. really, yes. and just bumping into each other and grinding and wearing leather, which is the popular pastime in the Uncharted Territories. Uh, last episode also introduced us to Julushko tonight. Adventa Havalis. Uh, in Tiron, who uh, emerged from one of the, ah, one of the cryopods. Red, Red Sonja, yes. <laughs> Red Sonja, yes, that's right. Who was instantly beloved by everyone. My ass. She she changed a lot between the last episode and this one, I would think. In, in the previous episode, she was much more in control, more of a commanding personality. And this time she was much more a spoiled brat and going yes. back and forth between like almost doing the foot stomp, like, oh, listen, pay attention to me, uh, do yeah. what I say, do what I want, and then be, moments later being completely cowed. And, yeah, the... the, the I mean, the Red Sonja name didn't just come because of the hair. It was also because of the attitude. Right. Uh, yeah, she's very Leia in the previous episode. Right, yes. Yeah. And she seemed much more capable. And this time around, she seems to be, again, kind of weird and pointless to what's going on with her. Yeah, she's a she's a deputized debutante, as John calls yeah. her at, at one point. Deputizing you, debutante. Okay, yeah, skipping ahead. She gives a little summary at one point that there was a lot of exposition that almost went too fast to follow. Yes. I take a multi-civilization tour for my birthday and barely make it through the first stop. I lose my deposit. My cousins get murdered. I've been frozen for 22 cycles. And then she doesn't remember anything or lost all her money or, or something like that. Right. Like she was- and her co- co- cousins were uh, trapped in the pods as well. Yeah. One of them never made it out. One of them died within half an hour uh, yeah. after coming out. And she seems to be just fine. Yep. And she's been in there for 22 cycles, which uh, uh, is a... Much to a- her screaming distress. Yes. And her species, or at least she, is capable of melting metal with her scream. Yes. I am so glad that we're back on unscientific bullshit because there was way too much science techno babble on, on Farscape. Yes, let's have a scream that can melt pointy metal, which... Not just pointy metal. Oh, yes, exactly. Because uh, What's-Her-Face uses it to do escape her handcuffs. Uh, Niala, Niala, the that, Pathfinder. I am Pathfinder Niala. Right, that's the one, yes, Niala. Let me write that down. Oh, Niala is such an interesting character. I'm sorry, we're not even talking about the, the episode straight up because these it's, are such interesting things of, to talk we kind about. Of, yeah, I mean, I don't think it uh, is going to do a lot of sense to go through it blow by blow because, you know, it's like a lot of techno stuff and a lot of running around and making... Yes, I won't actually, call it screen fit or time filling, so, but... I think that's a, actually a really good I call. I mean, the plot is really... Essentially, very simple. The, they have to activate the generator to break the two ships apart. There's nothing really stopping them from doing that, other than the the plotting and the mechanics uh, in between. So, well, okay. So breaking the two ships apart will destroy one yes. and send the other into the wormhole. Right? They're in the wall of the wormhole. One of them will be sent into the wormhole passageway properly, and the other one will be ejected, ejected into, out into and space and will... atomized. Right. Yeah. And the argument is that. It should be Niala's Pathfinder ship that goes into the wormhole because it's a wormhole-capable craft yeah. because it's in better shape. And Moya, well, she can't handle uh, a lot of wormhole travel because the organic parts of Farscape 1 yeah. burned out doing 17 loops. Moya is exclusively organic. She wouldn't even make one loop. Or so she- they say. And she is extremely damaged. But, yes, exactly. That is part of Niala's plan. Yeah, um, who, is, who has commanded her uh, second in command to use the phase transitioning device or something. Your phase. Phaztilin. To make himself invisible and go around Moya and sabotage the ship. I mean, he's the second one that she sends in to, to do that, possibly even the third. Oh, like the yes. first is the is the young woman that we see, but there's also, like, in the first episode, one of her crew members was injured, was, like, missing a limb or something, mm. which may have also already been... Like she said, that yeah, person we don't first. quite know what's, exactly. what's going on there. It turns out because their society seems to be very advanced, as she mentions many times. Yeah, but also a little bit on the fascist girl side. You know, it's like at least she claims that, like, if they don't show up with their ship and come back, then their families will suffer for yeah. it. I want to live. More important, do you want your family to live? You know what happens to ours should this ship fail to return. Will you tell them that you thought of them to the end? Their families are being held hostage for the privilege of working with technology. Yes. Uh, 
which she also mentions to one of her crew in the previous episode, so I'm inclined to believe her. Mm-hmm. And it's this makes Niala such a fascinating character and the Pathfinders in general, because they, they once they realize that they've been sabotaged by these invisible uh, people, and how they figure that out is actually pretty cool because it involves lasers and smoke and it does yes this little this new ship we, uh, we have on board where did that come from was that one of the that was in the mall of the uncharted territories oh it was yes. floating around and he brought it aboard and and just like a tesla car it has party mode <laughs> when you can turn it on and <laughs> yes the space tesla oh i, I love that it's oh can I do something with it? Because it, it's it's covered in these tessellated shapes. Yeah. These sort of, how to describe it? It's sort of like a, a triangle shape made out of convex and concave circle segments. So they sort of interlock and they're all over the ship. They're really, really it, it gorgeous. It gives a bit of an insectoid appearance, I would say. Ish, yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. They spend some time inside it. Wow, we're completely out of control. Sorry, it it feels like we've been we've touched the Fastillin generator and we're yes. we're losing the. I hey, okay. While so I, they're, so I they're think kind of like we should tr- go chronologically through after okay. all, just to keep us on some on one topic at a time. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we start off with John hanging on by his fingertips. That serpent creature that is native to the wall between wormhole and real it, space. Yeah, they live exclusively in wormholes. He uh, blasts it with Monona, pulls himself back up, and when he enthusiastically explains to Zan and Aaron what he saw in the diagnostic device that uh, he was given by the Pathfinders... It was from Earth, a television transmission. What, you mean like that Yoda from Dagobah? No, 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 no. Three Stooges. (laughs) Yeah. She remembers, she listens. Yeah. That was Claudia Black's idea. Apparently, somehow, he explained that was a fiction... Because the first time that he said it to her, she was just... Who's Yoda? Just little green guy. Trains warriors. Huh. Yeah, we've got those. Yeah, like <laughs> one of Rigel's relatives, no, no, undoubtedly. And Zan I mean, is pretty snippy when Crichton says, but this means that one of the exits of this wormhole loop is within 40 light years of Earth. Uh, and she says... Amidst our misfortune, I'm pleased for you, John. And he realizes, yeah, I'm being selfish, aren't I? Mm. Yes, on. true. At the same time, though, there's like two factions on board, Moya. Yes, very good. Because Aaron and Dargo don't trust Crichton's judgment. I do not trust Crichton's judgment. No. Because he first trusted the... Uh, or he first wanted to stay uh, by the wormhole and delay the mission to save Zan to investigate the wormhole a bit and then also trusted Niala. Like, they just don't trust his judgment. No. But something really cool happens, because John is lumped in with Chiana and Rigel, who are not also not like the in crowd when no. it comes to decision making. But they come up with the exact same plan, and it's done brilliantly. They're basically yeah! cutting back and forth. Both of them are plotting. Both parties don't quite trust the other group, but they all come to the same conclusion. Yeah, so it's like, it's like, like can't be trusted. Yeah. We have to go this. We will resort to violence if we have to. It's I, I love uh, yeah how those two shots are cut together. It's like it's yeah. so it's so efficient as well, because otherwise you'd have to have like two of these conversations. And I mean, it's really heartwarming. To see how even when they're not fully unified, they're so in sync with each other. Then whether they agree or not, we must stick to plan. First thing we do, everybody acts normal. Don't tip them off. Surprise may be our only ally. If Niala's people aren't sabotaging Moya, we'll go with them. If they are, we defeat them. Our appears from the Nexus points. So they're isolated from Moya's main systems. That way if they fry again... We'll know it's them. Throughout all this, I noticed, by the way, visually... This episode, and the last, I guess, it's super saturated. Yes, I know it's everybody's so colourful. Yeah. Uh, you notice that, you notice especially in Dargo and in Rigel, I would say. He's Ra- like a pumpkin. Rigel, oh, uh, uh, Dargo. Dargo's like a pumpkin, oh, yeah, Rigel's yeah, totally. like a sea cucumber. Well, but you know, his, cu- his white patch seems to stand out oh, more. Yeah. He looks much more amphibian, I would say, in this thing. But also the inside of his ears, yeah, it's all very colourful. Yeah. I guess they were trying to do that as well to get uh, Zahn's... Uh, Red patch to stand out more, and her eyes, of course. Ah, yes, it's all uh, it's all very intense. Because yes, while they're tending to John in Pilot's chambers, where he shot at the serpent creature, they also find the blood of one of these Pathfinder aliens. Oh yes, they have white blood. So that's how they figure out. Oh, they've been turning themselves invisible, uh, and she just happened to get injured by the serpent. 
Okay. I always thought, up until rewatching it this time, that the Pathfinders were changing into the Serpent. Yeah, I kind of get that feeling, yeah. Right. For a moment there, I thought that was what they were doing as well. And then, I, then when he walked up to the machine and, and turned invisible, I was like, oh, okay, so I got that wrong. Yeah, I... I apparently just didn't realize that. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly. The, like, the serpent is an actual thing. The serpent is just a, yeah, an animal that doesn't a, make doesn't really contribute anything to the story either. But it yeah. kind of looks cool. It's like I, I suppose it was done with stop motion and superimposing it over the image. Oh, that was all CGI, baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Animal Logic was getting really ambitious. Yeah. Okay, just a quick note for anybody who's wondering what those gurgling noises are in the background. No, we're not knee-deep in Moyas and Nexus fluids. And no, we didn't have some, some suspect curry yesterday. There is, there is some, dare we say it on a recording? Sure, there's some meat brewing away in the corner of the room. Yes, it has a little while to go. I'm hoping to make its acquaintance at some point. It's, uh, it's made from some wild honey. And yes, it's just gurgling every now and again. So yes, bloop means there's like little yeasties being very busy producing CO2s and delicious alcohols. Little booze farts from the yeasties. <laughs> this, is, this must be what it's like on Moya when somebody oh. does have some suspect curry from the galley and, the, and somebody hears the rumbling. Oh, oh no, that's just Moya. Or, you oh, can just always blame it on blame Moya. It on Moya. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the only one who can't do that is uh, Rigel, because everybody starts talking in high-pitched voices again. Uh, okay, so. I always, okay, so Stark and uh, Red Sonja are having a bit of a spat, and I always wonder with Stark, when he goes into that, when he flies into his mad rages almost, if he's doing it on purpose or if that's actually him actually losing it he seems to be able to turn it on and off at will sometimes but he also yeah. seems to do it sometimes when he's genuinely l- starting to lose it a little yeah. bit dead all of us dead my love dead my dreams dead you dead me dead you dead me dead you dead me dead you dead me dead <laughs> This is really interesting. I saw a chat with Paul Goddard, who plays Stark, who was mm-hmm. asked about that. And like, yes, one of the core character concepts from his introduction was his feigned madness and the otherwise right. otherwise stillness. Yeah. And he was worried that the, the writers would move away from that. But they sort of made him into a much more complex situation where he he does struggle with maintaining his emotional composure. And also he uses this feigned madness as a sort of social manipulation. Right, yes. He tries right, to basically scare, pe- yeah, basically scare people. And they're like, oh, he's going, basically doing the madman routine. Yeah. And you've kind of got to get to know him to figure out which is which. Mm. But he had a very strong emotional center, which he said he worked with Virginia Hay to sort of develop the kind of character that Zan would respect and come to love. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they felt that chemistry and they wanted to develop it. But yeah, he is a bit nuts. So how do you show qualities that she would yes. come to appreciate? And yeah, those are slipping as she does. I, I, I'd say you can kind of tell whether or not it's real or not, depending on the lead up. Whether or not, oh, right. if he just if it if it just turns on, then he's probably just affecting it. If if you can see him slowly slip into it, is his that's a really good point. His general nature starts to like break down a little bit, and then it culminates in him going into one of those mad frenzies. Oh, I love this. So do you remember at the Mall of the Uncharted Territories mm-hmm. when he was fussing over Zan and she didn't want to yeah. be fussed with, and then he insisted on seeing her head. Show me your head. Show me your head. Yeah. It's all right. Let me look at your head. No, just stop. I said, let me look at it. Let me look at it now. Do you think that was one of those examples that he was using it as a sort of oratory? Ooh, uh, not sure. Uh, I mean, for, okay, it, for, okay, for this episode, when he does it to uh, Red Sonja, he clearly just puts it, uh, turns it on. Whereas later yes. on in the episode, uh, he also goes into that. And there you can see him slowly start starting to break down. Uh, oh, that's and, uh, brilliant. Kay, that's brilliant. <laughs> yes, because with Jewel, she's complaining about that she went on a trip for her birthday yeah. and then it's all, all ruined. And he says, your list is so short. You're unworthy of this ship of horrors. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yes. Not to 60 in less than a microt. Impressive. And that's exactly the thing. That's when, when it goes that quickly, then it's probably him just uh, affecting it. Um, There's also some some other interesting conversations between Crichton and Dargo sitting in yeah. inside the uh, the new spacecraft. B-I-T-C-H-I-N-G. Well, see, <laughs> there's a bit about this that I really appreciate. It's because they're talking like bros again. Yep. And Dargo does something that he hasn't done before, which is reflect on himself, his own behavior. Yes. Gianna's a young woman. She needs attention. I was focused on my son. I neglected her. 
Right. And John actually saying, like, well, you did as much as could be asked of you. Yes. And uh, Dargo, I think, immediately, he agrees a little too readily. Yeah, I did do the absolute best I could, and it still wasn't enough. Well, Dargo. Yeah. Um, then again, I mean... Okay, so as a creative person, you often look at your past creative works, or no, just as a general person, you look at your past self's conduct, and you were it's easy to be disappointed in right. how stupid they were, or how you know how poor their taste was, or how limited mm-hmm. their skills. But there is a sort of like your past self probably did the best they could with what they knew. Yes. Right? There's a, you, you have to sort of be charitable to your past creative works. Like, okay, yeah, there's a huge difference between something that you just didn't try very hard on and something that you tried really hard on, and this was, you know, the limit of your capability at the time. Yes. But at the same time, you do have to recognize when you just weren't really putting it all in there, and I don't think that Dargo really did the best he could. Very good point. Uh, he was certainly a little bit focused on his own needs and wants at the time, I suppose. Yeah, and not um, really... Not being very considerate towards other people's thoughts. Yes. Exactly, exactly. He was, he was close... Uh, you've remarked on it before. He was closed in in what he imagined this future for himself to include these two people and not interrogating what they wanted. My grandmother used to say that life is a great wheel. Sometimes it grinds you down to the mud and other times it lifts you up into the light. Are we strapped at this wheel? That's a given. Point is, is that most times you get a second chance. Just gotta wait for the wheel. Just a little bit of more party mode on the DRDs this time, now that they have discovered that Nyala's people are messing around on Moye. Yes, because as he's just pushing random buttons on the ship that feels somehow familiar to him, ignoring uh, Crichton's admonishment, it turns up some cool lasers yep. on the outside of the ship, and that gives him the idea, oh, we can do that with the DRDs, and then we'll have a scanner for invisible people. Although, that doesn't really... How does, does that work no, with how lasers... Like, you're invisible already. How do lasers help with that? Yeah, it's, if light passes through them, then how does the light... Well, yeah. Whatever. It looked really cool. It actually works. I mean, even if it... It might just be psychological, but they do scare the uh, alien on board in uh, into at least partially revealing themselves. He does a little bit of quarter blade katas and some shooting, and he actually managed to hit the alien. Yes. Leaving uh, a impressive. bloody handprint on yes. the wall. Their blood is milky and white, which I've seen handprints like that. Uh, <laughs> but not before Chiana takes one of those bristles in the leg, because the, uh, the oh, pathfinder yeah, she, she gets, these yeah, gills. She, she with, gets hit, hit with one of the poison darts. His needles! <laughs> My leg! Dargo! I'm hit! Tornicator, stop the poison! Now, have. fortunately, she can be treated because uh, uh, Rigel, while he was uh, uh, performing the, the part of the plan that both of them had, both of the teams had for him. Which leads us to the blood and pilot's den. The cabin beneath must be searched. Can we rely on you, Rigel? Mm. Can we rely on Rigel? All right. Investigating the bottom of the well beneath the uh, pilot's chambers. Yes. Found the dead uh, The dead the body, dead girl. yes. And got, got told to, like, yeah, take those spikes out. And yeah, Rigel seems to be particularly compliant to this episode, I would say. Right? He seems to be, he bitches a little bit, but he generally does as he is asked slash told. Yeah. uh, And doesn't particularly make an overly big fuss about everything. I guess he might be still a little bit contrite about what he did in the previous episode, although contrite is not exactly a a, No, that's uh, that's not a a rival thing. No. But there is a moment where he's with Stark, sort of lamenting about uh, uh, Pilot, who's still unconscious. Too bad about Pilot. I liked him. Yes. He liked you too, says Stark. How do you know? He told me. (laughs) He did? (laughs) Yeah. Which is apparently a huge deal to Rigel. Yes. Yeah, later at the end, he goes hanging out with uh, Pilot and uh, fishing for for compliments, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) And Pilot's like, what's going on here? (laughs) Yes. I appreciate your concern, Rigel. It's just that you've never paid this much attention to me before. (laughs) I think maybe you haven't noticed. I like you, Pilot. I like you a lot. <laughs> a little bit of side eye from pilot. Oh, I kind of would have would have loved a little um, 
crustacean amphibian friends yeah. with benefits. Who knows? I don't think I want to th- see the rule 34 of that. Oh, open your mind and your... <laughs> Sorry, I was about to do a Paddington quote, which is open your mind and your legs will follow. <laughs> okay, it's a deep cut. I'm just going to leave it there for anybody who, who's bewildered by it. Aaron comes across uh, uh, Zan, who is in the throes of rage. Her eyes are red, as yes. we've seen once before. Tissue bile migrating to her brain, and she's out to kill Niala for trying to kill Moya. The betrayal must be punished. Not like this, son. Mm. And it's Aaron that stops her. Aaron is incredible throughout this episode, by the way. Oh, yes. She has some fantastic lines. Her conversations with John while they're running through the hallway. Go on, keep moving. I got a plan. Don't tell me you have a plan. What's wrong with them? They never work. Damn, these doors. They always work. Not the way you detail them. Hey, look, I get results. You're hung up on details. Your plans never work. She, she, she tells Zan that it's a bad trade that she made. I'm just a soldier. I'm always just going to be a soldier. Mm. You were so much more valuable. Don't undervalue yourself. I'm being realistic. Don't be afraid to understand yourself. We're not as different as you assume. Violent past. No faith in the future. And then a transformative experience aboard this very ship. And even it's her idea to tell Rigel, oh, pull some of those bristles out. We might need them. I like to know my enemy. Yes. A good soldiering there. soldiering, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Back on track. Uh, Then we have Stark and uh, uh, Jewel. Oh, you want to cry, young creature? I will show you something that will make you cry forever. We have the parlor scene where everyone confronts Niala about her sabotage and they well, pretty cut much, her. Pretty much readily admits to what she's done. Yep. Very refreshing, I'd say. Like- yes, okay. So here's the thing that, that I found so interesting about Niala. She could have just lied. She could have just told yeah. the Moyans, oh, if we separate, you'll be fine. And just let them be vaporized. And they would have done it. Yep. It would have been fine. We would have happily remained here and perished with Moya. I did not wish to see you die. But I incorrectly assumed that given the choice, you would take the rational option. But she went through this whole thing. She sacrificed her crew to not have to kill them. Yes. Which is just wild. Get them to come along, yes. And as, as she says in the beginning, like, okay, they, they must be helped along a little bit in, in making the decision by uh, sabotaging uh, the Leviathan a little bit faster than uh, she normally would be breaking down. Yes, exactly. She's... I mean, at first she was risking her crew's life. Now she's ordering them to their deaths in order to convince these people to not... It makes me really wonder about what kind of society these pathfinders are from. But I love it because this is proper, like, alien uh, uh, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Your feelings for Moya and Pilot are matched by those for our families. Allow personal passions to cancel each other out. What's left? (laughs) Wormhole technology. Yes. Garnered at great cost, with potential beyond measure. Would you compare that with the lives of a ship and pilot, which I assure you are doomed anyway? Moya lives, Niala. You misjudged her will and ours. Will is a poor substitute for Beersian alloy when crushed by astronomical tidal forces. There's still no excuse for sabotaging Moya. Zahn also has some fantastic fantastic lines in this episode uh, like when she's being completely the, the judgmental towards John where it's yes. like ah your excuses uh. why hasn't anyone ventured tier 4 say bladders Zan uh, sorry we ran into a little problem here the passageways beyond have opened to space there's no way I can get to pilot your excuses have failed him again John And he's not even making excuses, giving an explanation to what was going wrong. Yes, I think in this situation, I mean, it is unfair given that the delay that Crichton and Aaron suffered at the time was that they were being chased by the serpent creature right. that, they had to, yeah. that they had to deal with. But it, it sort of goes to show the, the how much faith John has lost from his friends through pretty bad judgment mm. throughout this episode. And even Zan, in all of her, in all of her benevolence, like she feels responsible for Moya first, I yes. think. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. 
and she's very disappointed in Crichton because Moya's condition is his fault twofold. First, for parking in front of a wormhole. My call. Uh, and second, for trusting Niala. I trusted you. Those Very were both point. his calls, and they were wrong. And they went wrong. Everybody else went along with them, but... Well, it's kind of... I mean, when somebody takes charge, they've yeah. got to own the consequences of their actions, right. yeah. even if they couldn't oversee them. That like, that's sense. the burden of yeah. leadership. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And here is the, the, the setup for the main sort of technobabble thing, which is that the Fastillin generator is going to be turned on, and that's going to separate the ships, and how that happens is going to determine who gets to survive. Explain. The generator has reached optimization phase. And what does that mean? Yeah. And later on, there turns out to be a possibility that if there's a starburst maneuver within seven seconds of turning on the generator, then the ships will be turned around and Moya's mass will give her an advantage. And what does that mean? And that will uh, ease her into the wormhole where she can be navigated at some risk. Explain. And then they go to commercial and she comes out and she's fine. Right, we but that's, but that's right at the end of the episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is that whole plot that I don't think we're really keen on following every step no. of the way. So while that's happening, everybody's having these conversations. Rigel's bitching about how complicated this plan is. Joined by Dargo and Stark, it's a really cool walk and talk shot yes. with over these three very colourful characters. This is where I noticed how super, super saturated everything is. Eyelets in a coma, Moya's half decompressed, nothing works fine, I'll kill half an arm. I want you to reconnect Pilot to Moya's external sensors. The neural cluster, Dagger, we shredded those synapses. It'll take all three of us. Splice and hook, nothing permanent. I want to give Pilot a chance. He's unconscious. Well, do your part. He'll be awake. Uh, we have John talking to... Uh to our princess girl who is gets handed a gun and told to keep her, uh, her eye on Yala, who suddenly, despite being her commanding bitch queen uh, warrioress uh, affection uh, in last episode, uh, now her goes like looks at the gun and goes like, oh, what's this? What am I supposed to do with that? Well, just keep it pointed at her. She was kind of clumsy with it last time as well. She didn't really manage to hit Crichton. But yes, she's uh, she's being left with the means to defend herself against the serpent creature that has shown up on the on the command or the mm-hmm. joint command of both ships because they're penetrated through each other. And yeah, she's complaining about that. This is all insane. Everything I have seen so far is despicable. And John says, "Well, yeah, yeah. welcome aboard, Moya. <laughs> welcome but, to the uncharted territories." Do you remember what he calls Moya? No, the Federation starship. Ship. Oh, but cracked. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. To the Federation starship SS Buttcrack! <laughs> and a nice slap of his uh, talents and assets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh. So there's a bit of repair going on, which is where people are trying to repressurize two tiers that are on the verge of being depressurized so that they can get to pilot. Yes. This is where, where, where I meant, like, let's not focus too much on the actual nuts and bolts because it's pretty tricky to follow. And that's what John and Aaron are doing when they get distracted by the serpent. Yeah, serpent shows up again, gets another few pot shots. Uh, they have to run for it, more depressurization. Well, well, John has an idea. Yes, they go uh, to, the, to the new shuttle. Yes, and once it's entering the new shuttle, which Aaron says, this is a terrible idea. We're, you know, locking ourselves in a tiny enclosed space where it can easily munch on us. And once it's halfway in, he finds the button for the shuttle's... uh, Defense shield. Defense shield, which cuts it in half. Yeah. Success. Exit snake. But they have failed to reach pilot, so Aaron dons a, a pressure suit and walks through these depressurized tears, shining her flashlight around through a lot of haze. Which is not something you associate with vacuum. No, you don't. Maybe there's some like venting going on, which causes the yeah. yeah. And going past like sparkling circuits. Also, not something you would appreciate nope, having generally. a vacuum. <laughs> no. But she finds that uh, pilot's den is still pressurized, despite the fact that she just opens, opens the it, door and into there it. doesn't seem to be an airlock. Yeah. The- but he's alive. He is. Uh, and throughout this whole sequence, we've been intercutting to Zan, who's been praying for their lives. She's talking about, like, please let spare them their lives. Probably talking about Moya and, uh, mm. and Pilot. Even as a tenth level Pa'u, I am weary and without resources. Oh, goddess, of all things holy, in my soul, this gentle ship is pledged to my care and I am powerless. Though I am but a moat upon your winds, grant me one And she is so pleased 
that her prayers have come true. Mm. Uh, they now need to wake up Pilot with uh, a heavy dose of adrenaline from Moya and some kicking from uh, uh There's uh, a lot of kicking Aaron. going on there. She's like, yeah, trying to like wake a behemoth like a pilot up is just like, yeah, just basically leans back on the console and just gives him a double-legged kick several times yes. in her off and, oi, get up, it's time to get out of bed. So like, and pilot's like, oh, five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine, like, the representatives of the creature shop sitting there behind the camera going, oh, not so hard, not so hard, that's yeah. a $20,000... <laughs> Yes. 20000 is really underselling it. I think just a, the average wig is $20,000 on a science fiction Wouldn't production. be surprised, yeah. But and, that, yeah, that goes well. He gets woken up and he starts doing his calculations. He starts like, uh, oh, yes, well, if we can angle the ship just right, then it'll improve our chances to get through the wormhole. Yeah, 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 whatever. I trust you to do the math. Yeah, because they can swap places at the last minute. Zahn, at some point, again, has a fantastic line when she's talking to Nyala basically threatening her that she'll come back and, like, I'll, I'll certainly lose my last chance of ever meeting my goddess if I get Oof. my hands on you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> hey, and speaking of, like, fantastic lines, John is suddenly interrupted by uh, Harvey. Bravo! Bravo! Magnificent! Encore! Encore, John! John Crichton was riveting in the role of cheerleader. Rallying his comrades in the aid of the stricken ship he had earlier betrayed. Yeah. Harvey comes actually poking out into the real world. Yeah. So it turns out that he not, doesn't have quite as much control over him as he uh, we've been led to believe in the previous episode. But he flops back to his dreamscape, which is for some reason, I don't know, rural Oklahoma or wherever it is that they're supposed to be. Uh, I think they mention it. Georgia. Georgia, yeah, they, that's they talk the one. over yeah. each other. This is apparently on, on spring break from college where John hitchhiked to Fort Lauderdale to see strippers. Okay. Which, oh, bless. But, yeah, they're both wearing tuxedos, uh, but they seem to come to a bit of an agreement. Harvey is still trying to wheedle out a deal, I suppose, because he's still not happy. He doesn't want to go back into the trash bin. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want to go back into the dumpster. If I want you, I'll call. Those are the rules. Unacceptable. And I suggest you sue for peace now. Your distractions are many. Well, I'm totally dedicated to getting a measure of freedom. No more dumpsters, John. And John seems to acquiesce to this demands. It seems, yeah. Like, in that regard, she is like a cat or a, a, a small child. Right, yes. Like, you as an adult human, you have to deal with lots of stuff. I have only one focus at infinite time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he does give him a good idea. Yes. He says to John... Uh, you would do, well, anything to save your ship. Anything. Why don't you think Nala would do that either? And she goes like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yes. Because Nyala has been tricking Jewel into screaming. <laughs> to slowly melt her handcuffs. Yes. Because each time she goes like, oh, look, it's the snake again. And she goes like, ah. Oh, snake, a snake. Ah. <laughs> Their planet must be all plastic. Yes, if it melts metal. Yes. Yeah. No, I see even, that. If, yeah. Maybe Can you just, just imagine, maybe, like, a screaming interior baby? Maybe they're just, like, natural materials. Although, judging by her outfit, no. I don't know. And it sort of looks like what about, reinforced leather. What about leather? all those metal studs that it's reinforced with? They're maybe not metal. Mm, okay. Shiny, shiny and chrome. Shiny and chrome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're sticking with the Australian atmosphere here. Talk about Australian. She, uh, I'm just going to keep calling her Red Sonia because... It'll like, sink in. She's got, like, such a massively long name that I just, like... Can't even begin. Julius That's the one. Uh, hey, you say this as a double-barreled named gentleman yourself. Why <laughs> I have a very short nickname. <laughs> so Crichton, on Harvey's advice, goes to confront Niala, but she's a tricksty woman, and she has vented some kind of gas into the command of her ship. Iron charged hydrostatic vapor residue in atmospheric suspension. Yeah, so he can't shoot uh, Wynonna uh, because it'll go nuclear. But he can f just fight her and yes. pushes her away. He tries to run away, bumps in into Jewel. Ah! Ah! Jewel, you nitwit! Who is now stressed, and you can tell that because her hair's turned red. Oh, yes. And Yala starts actually firing her uh, little... Her bristles. Poison darts, yes. Which she'd never... Like, she's never released her bristles against... In, in anger, yes. To kill. kill. But... 
they've been blunted by Jules' screams. Yes, just as she shoots him, they just bounce off his chest plate, and it's just like, yep, they've been blunted. Because I guess metal tips are those things. Pliable root, tensile fibre stalk, metalline venom tip. There's a bit of a scuffle. She gets thrown back into the reactor or something. We yeah. didn't notice before that this thing was like super dangerous, which like do not touch levels of dangerous. Yeah, yeah. you'd yeah. expect some hazard tape at least. Yeah, some this warnings. Is a like huge OSHA violation. Yeah. Health and safety would have something to say about this. I mean, Moya's got something to say with like the railings in, in Pilot's okay. Den and stuff yes. like that. You know? Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say, but at least there you don't, you know, if the ship shakes, you don't die. But yeah, you totally do. Yeah, you fall down and you end up in the bottom of the pit. Uh, surprised there's not more bodies there. Yeah, just the one at the moment. Right. So Niala um, is, I mean, she's powdered, right, yeah. by contact. She's Yeah, it looks a bit metalish, like metal pellets or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. It's sort of like filings. Yeah. But uh, wormhole droppings. Oh well. <laughs> Jewel is put in charge of another crisis situation, which is to keep an eye on the control panel and report on whether the timing is improving. Oh no, that was earlier on. I forgot. Just, yeah, it was just a weird, weird thing that. The, oh yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was the generator that was charging or something, and That's once right. it's fully charged, it had to be activated. And now it's here, and somebody has to activate. See, this is the problem when it gets so when it gets so sciency and sort of technical, you kind of lose the plot a little bit because it's so emotion heavy i think star trek it's a lot easier to follow the plot because you know not to say that star trek is without its character development but it's not so emotion heavy and dramatic as it is in uh, in Farscape. yeah and it's almost you're paying so much attention to who's saying what to whom that you kind of forget that there's also a crisis going on yes yes uh, uh okay so Yes, that's what they need. They need Jewel to remember what she saw the Pathfinder woman doing on right, the what controls. The se- what was the sequence of the button presses that she was doing? Which ones? Which ones? Stop yelling at me! Yelling starts in about two seconds. Which ones? These. I'm pretty sure. You're sure? Be sure. I'm hurt. She hit me in the head. Well, did you see the order? And I love this because she sort of guesses it was roughly this one. I think it was this one and this one. And Zan steps in. Was it this, 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 this? Yes, that's it. This, 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 this. Yes. What the hell is that? Diagnostical helix. It's the mathematical representation of quantum elasticity. Like, <laughs> I love, okay, I'm a, I'm a user experience designer in yeah. real life. I, I, I care a lot about interfaces. And this idea that when you get to a certain level of science, there are obvious patterns that everyone understands because you cannot get into space without understanding yeah. these principles. And everyone would express them the same way. And everyone would, like, design their interfaces that, yes, following this math is the most logical way to perform these functions. Yeah. I adore that. I'm just absolutely crazy about it. That everyone who realized, oh, yeah, this is just one of those math interfaces. Of course we can do this. All right, that's good. Enough, enough, enough. Thank you. Over there. Where we get the big discussion scene about who is going to push the buttons to activate the generator so that the ships get split apart. And John says, oh, I'll do it. It'll be easy. I'll just uh, go ahead and I'll push the buttons and I'll just quickly make my way back over. Yes, it's initially a, a conflict between him and Aaron. Aaron yes. wants to do the dangerous thing, and he says, "No, no, no! You've got to, you've got to pilot Moya. You're you're better at that." Yeah. She's like, yeah, 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 but you're better I've at never, wormhole. But I've never flown a wormhole, no. <laughs> and she's just doing that to get to keep John safe. Yeah. But Zan tells both of the children, yeah, "I'm doing it." Crichton, Aaron, enough. And uh, it's like, oh, no, you can't do this. I thought you just said it was easy. And it's like kind of catching John out in his earlier... Uh... Yeah. And, I mean, they do look like children, Aaron, Aaron and John. They do a bit. They're, they're standing like, next to each other like, like school kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she explains to them why she's come to this decision and how she's at peace. And she's overcomes speaking with everyone, saying her goodbyes. And she calls them. And I wrote this down because uh, this is so important to me. She calls them... Sensitive Dargo. Exuberant Tiana, wise Rigel, selfless Aaron, innocent Crichton. I guess that's how she sees each of the people. You are both so good at gauging reality. Yet in this instance... Sam, there's a planet out there. A long shot at best, John. The illness that is ravaging my body is frighteningly efficient. So while I'm still sound of mind and spirit... I choose this path for myself. Zan, you're needed here. 
At one time, I believe I was. But then a family was born. You birthed it. I'll start the generator I'll come across. If it is so easy, allow me. That no. No, no. No more. If I am so needed, and so valued, and so wise, then you will honor my words. You will obey me. For the longest time I feared physical demise, because my spiritual lessons were suspect. But now I know I'm worthy. Now I know the transgressions have melted from my soul. Now I know I shall meet my goddess and be accepted to her bosom. She refers to them as the children more often than once. Yes. Especially when talking to Rigel. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she is also an older person. Yeah. She considers Dargo at 30. Mm, you are but a boy. Which apparently is more about her life cycle than his. About because his. Yeah. for a Luxon, apparently he considers himself quite... Adult, yeah. Yeah. Then again, young people generally do. Yeah. Stark has a little bit of a breakdown here when he can't be with uh, Zana at this point. Because yes. he's still locked away on the other side of the vacuum. Uh. Yes, this is one of those moments where he's he's slowly mounting to madness. Right. Because he's, he's first sort of panicking and worrying, and then he's talking to himself. That's where, oh, okay, you're you're brilliant. That's the key. Decompression, decompression. Where to go, where to go, where to go. He's slowly like losing it. Where to go, where to go, where to go. Until he you know, like breaks down and screams when he can't. But then Zan makes mental contact with him. And shares shares her death with him. Yes, because she wants him. She wants him there. Yeah, she presses the buttons. The ships get torn apart, and then we see uh, we the ships are separated. Yeah. And she's looking out of the, the the front window, and they're just making eye contact through their yeah. respective windows. Zan does her little bow and hands sweeping around the head gesture to yes. them. Yes, a beautiful benediction, and they watch as the ship disintegrates. She hangs about in an orange haze which glows and flashes and gave a lot of fans a lot of unfounded hope that, <laughs> that I, I will spare you because it was just torment to wait for her to come back and, and then... She didn't, yeah. Yeah, it was gutting, starkly gutted, as uh, one of our listeners yes. mentioned in their synopsis. But yeah, the, the flying through the ship, cut to a commercial break, and everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, ships fly, floating around, and we're dealing with the aftermath, everybody and their grief. This is where you have the little cutesy scene between Pilot and, uh, and Rigel, Rigel. Where Pilot's a little bit, hmm. Mm. He's not crazy about being touched, I guess, in general. No, you're right. He isn't. I mean, I mean, the first time they touched him, they ripped his arm off. So that's like, yeah. it's about right. He seems to be okay with it when it's uh, Aaron. Yes. Uh, yeah. But he's also, he's also complained when John hugged him in the past. or even said, when no, he, don't touch my console. That nah. too, yeah. That, that too. <laughs> he's very possessive. But I guess it, like, it's one of, those, one of those things where some, like dogs don't like hugs. Right. Because no. that's, that's trapping. That's not how they show right. their affection. Yeah. They like nuzzling and, you know, uh, just being together in, in other ways. But like humans, we like hugs because it's intimate and it's protective. And that's yeah. what we do with, uh, with babies, right? You, right? you cradle them and embrace them. And for other animals, that's not how they enjoy affection. Cats don't seem to mind it. But they tend to they're also powerless. Right, but they also tend <laughs> Nature's to perfect killing machine, but, but they're, they're only... But they also tend to pile up on top of each other, you know? Yes, yes. They do like to, uh, they do like to pile. My cat, like, she likes to... If I go for a nap on the couch, she'll lie on top of me. And, yeah. if I, and if I drape my arm over her, then she's perfectly fine with that. Yeah. And then it's just like a bit of mutual... Uh, yeah, just a, fun a, closeness. A little bit of a pile-up. So there's, yeah, there's that. We so maybe he just doesn't like to be... You know, he's, he's got this carapace. Maybe he wants it to keep clean and he, right. you know, he can't re- exactly bathe himself. So no, don't touch, don't don't touch that. You'll leave greasy stains all over. Don't you think he has a shower unit built in there or something? Oh, I meant just as a species, you know, we're no, talking no. about dogs and cats and they right. can bathe themselves. I don't know that crustaceans really do that. Maybe they do. No, I guess they, most of the time they just go for a swim. Uh, we have a fantastic scene between uh, Sonia and uh, Chana. Yeah, where... A l- little bit of a bitch queen uh, uh, dominance establishing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when she goes, she's complaining about her shoes and she has to walk so far and Chana's like, well... Get yourself some more sensible shoes, lady. Well, this could be an interesting foreshadowing. Oh, what are you thinking? Ah, <laughs> huh? but well, hold uh, on. They have I'm, a, I'm dead curious now. Well, women in sensible shoes are 
Oh, oh, yes. Okay, a euphemism for uh, women who like women. Yes. Yes, okay. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, maybe she's going to get herself some sensible shoes at some point because that's how it works on Moya. Right. If you, if you want to get faster, get fitter and uh, buy yourself some sensible shoes. Yes. Which Tiana even, or she, uh, she like, throws back to Tiana. Do you know how much Tiana. these shoes cost? <laughs> do you know how much these shoes cost, young whore? For me, three sex acts. Probably double that for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I meant. A little bit of bitch queen dominance fight there. It's a really interesting dynamic between these two because that used to be Chi when she just came aboard. Yes. She was the annoying, selfish, uncooperative, uncontributing. So it must be extra hard for Chi to see someone who reminds herself of that. (laughs) Herself in that position, yes. In this moment. It was interesting for uh, the actresses. Tammy McIntosh, she plays uh, Jewel and, of course, uh, the luminous Gigi Edgley. They just sort of made a pact that uh, just, let's just push each other. Okay. We'll, We'll make a lot of space for each other. They're both method actresses and let's just, let's really go for it. Okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and it's an interesting dynamic to have back on the ship. Yes. Whereas, like, it used to be like that with everybody being really selfish and then they got to really know each other and then they got into really destructive relationships and now we just have people who hate each other again. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice relief. It makes, yeah. Darko's having a little bit of a sulk in the alien uh, spacecraft. Uh, not sure what, what that was all about. Yeah, I mean, he's just on his own. And we have a, a scene between Aaron and Stark. Towards- you know, I said he's on his own. Yeah. No, he's communing with that ship. There's something about that ship. He mentioned right. before, yeah. he just likes being there. And uh, uh, Stark has Aaron hovering over him. Honestly, Aaron, you don't have to hover over me. To be honest, in return, Stark, I'd expect you to be a bit more upset. Well, after 15,000 deaths, what's 15,001? Which he says he doesn't need, but she thinks he does. Right. There's another really creepy moment as he turns, talking about how many deaths he's, he's seen yeah, while he's like, holding a knife. Oh, you think that was what's one more, and you think he'd be uh, going for a stabity? It's really creepy, and oh. she sort of takes the knife from him. Yeah, and explains that Zan was at peace when she died, and yes. how wonderful that was. And uh, but also him, how he says that most people the, he uh, guides on their f- final yeah, trip, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're fighting the experience, and this was like quite a different experience for him because she was at peace and she was, yeah. And she wouldn't want us to be sad. She would yeah. want us to, to live like she did, but positively. And Aaron asks, can you do that? Well, yeah. Not always. No. I would appreciate you hovering then. That was, that was yep. kind of a, a cool sort of admission of like <laughs> dependence and need. Then we see the ghost of Zahn peeking in through the window at uh, John. Another absolutely gutting ray of hope. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> it's like, oh, maybe she was just like trapped in the wormhole or something. And yep, yep. But no, none of that. And John, who is like in his mental state, projecting uh, Three Stooges videos. <laughs> yeah, originally the uh, the director, I think it was Tony Tills on this one, really wanted to film this in an actual drive-through, which are apparently not super common in Sydney, no. uh, or at least it wasn't available. So they made a little model to project it on. But this scene was kind of fraught, apparently, because even though this particular Three Stooges skit had fallen into public domain, they didn't get official clearance to use this clip until like three minutes before they filmed this. Oh, wow. But yeah, here we have John and Scorpy. John is dressed in funeral black. Yes. He's not in the tuxedo anymore. It's just a, just a jacket and tie. And and it's really interesting because they're, they're, they're watching this Three Stooges skit and there's a lot of physical comedy and slapstick. And Harvey observes... Why is it always the gentle ones that pay the price for everyone else's ambition? Yes. Ooh... Well, another fun-filled another episode of, of Farscape. Farscape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, willies and woodies. She gives me a woody. She gives you the willies. I think my, my, my woody goes to, to Zahn's lines, like how she's beautifully snippy and angry. You are a very ungrateful and selfish woman. Please remain silent from now on. Yeah, she goes in a lot of directions. Yes. She's very stern with uh, uh, with John. Yep. No, no, this is Niala's species blood, John. 
And like then, a mother superior at a school run by nuns. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, Damn, like yeah, the I penguin thought, in the Blues Brothers. I hadn't... Oh, the blue penguin in this case, yeah. <laughs> and Willy, 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 Willy. Ooh. Maybe the confusing part where the between the action and the uh, emotion, which made it hard to follow. Yeah, about two-thirds of the episode in when all the action and everything has to be arranged. And right at the same time, we're having, like big emotional developments between uh, in various characters and it makes it 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 kind of makes it a little bit hard to follow yeah i'm with you i'm i'm not usually opposed to to stories that really mix the dramatic and the intellectual like i think that's i think farscape does better than most of oh, that oh totally but it be, it does become a bit overwhelming and even on like a second viewing gosh there was just a lot going on and a lot of logical threads that aren't all as important to heighten this peril that they're all in and you have to, yeah, you have to kind of piece together. Okay, what's what? What were they trying to achieve here? And oh, wait, now they're suddenly talking about. Uh, yes, it's, uh, yeah. I, I wonder if there's a if there's a solution for that because there, I mean, there's, there's so many moving pieces. Zan's departure, these aliens, Jewel, Red yeah. Sonia, as you uh, yeah, yeah, no, to I'm, go. I'm starting to get uh, used to Jewel now. Jelushka tonight, Havalis. I think, yeah, probably Jewel uh, uh, introducing her here was the the sort of chaotic element mm. i think it's ultimately a wise choice or, or at least it's a big swing and you know how i like right. I, I prefer big swings over safe bets yeah to introduce her in the middle of zan's departure and all of this other crisis it's it's kind of a bold thing it maybe the ship was a bit was a was just a bit too much you mean the alien ship yeah the, the, the pathfinders oh sorry no uh the the, the one that dargo pulled inside oh right that that was just another extra thing. I that- guess they're just kind of like introducing elements and they're going to see what what will stick. You know, just like, like throwing a bunch of new things and we'll see oh, which, which, like we, so. which, which we'll use in the story development. I mean, the, We'll see which the, ones stick around. Right. It's, it's like, I mean, the introduction of Jewel seems to be a bit of a... Uh, yeah, I, I can like kind of start to understand now the, why they brought her in like this. Well, you did once make the uh, the prediction that the Interons would uh, have an impact on the crew roster or something right. to that effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is True. that what you're thinking? Yes, that's still what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah but I can make I can see how that would work uh, in this regard now because I was also talking about like what are why are they throwing her in like this? It seems like she doesn't do anything. She doesn't seem to add anything to the storyline. The fact that she's suddenly being taken out of the uh, uh, yeah. out of the freezer. It doesn't seem to be. It, it seems a wasted, wasted effort. But it, I guess it, like with Zahn going, she's probably going to be like the new, the new emotional center that's going to keep well. everybody. <laughs> Is that what you're? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my Willies and Woodies. Oh, Woodies are tricky because yeah. I really love that ship. I love the lasers. I love that Dargo had a, a dubious flirtation with self-reflection that unfortunately he didn't keep. He didn't. He, he was almost there. He was almost there. Painfully <laughs> close, but no. I think it's going to go to like the science bits. Once activated, the power cell will engorge a final time, and when it releases, we'll find out if our ships are destined to separate. Uh, Particularly, like that diagnostical helix thing. Oh, the idea yes. that there is an internal logic to the universe that would inform perfect user interfaces is just a dream. It would replace my job entirely, but that's fine. <laughs> it's like, yes, we're re- re- receiving a signal on the f- frequency of heli- uh, helium um, modulator. Yes, like, oh, let's yes. see what we can do with that, yeah. What is it, the, the, the ninth transcendental harmonic of... Uh, uh, do you know how that works? Not exactly, no. Okay, so this is one of the things that I think like SETI and, uh, and Arecibo look for as signs of intelligent mm-hmm. life, which is a signal transmitted on a transcendental uh, harmonic. So the frequency of hydrogen times pi. Right. Right? Yeah. That's, that's a frequency. There's no way that anything natural arrives there. No. Or, you know, the E or Planck's constant or whatever. But it's a number that somebody else could figure out or prime, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Prime numbers. These scratches are grouped in prime numbers. Three, five, seven, eleven, prime. My willy, unconventional move, goes to John's tough guy voice, which I have finally had enough of. Yo, yo, no, you do not enter my reality. Okay. Uh, especially the way it's 80 yard. You do not. And he just talks like some kind of... <laughs> Like a librarian trying to impersonate a drill sergeant. It right. doesn't work for me. Okay. 
Yeah, it's like the first time that I saw it was in uh, Till the Blood Runs Clear. Get that weapon out of my face before I feed it to you. <laughs> yeah, where he uh, big dogs the uh, the Vorkarians, and that kind of worked for me because he is a nerd playing big. Okay. No, he kind of still is. Yes. I mean, but then you have to sort of figure it out that, that he's really kind of pathetic when he's bullying. It, it, his bully voice just doesn't work for me. Fair enough. Just okay. put it on another space suit and show off your glutes. <laughs> <laughs> more, of the, more of the SS butt crack, please. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, yes. And that's the story so far, Skate. Uh, we will see you in two weeks' time with episode 305, Different Destinations, mm. in which, let's see, the synopsis as I have it in front of me here is, piss the cook. <laughs> Things get timey-wimey and Farscape finally delivers what we've been clamoring for since the dawn of time, hunky catmen. Oh, yeah. I'm excited already. You're looking forward to it? I yes. am, certainly. <laughs> Join us next week for another fantastic fan fiction, uh, which is the third third link that I forgot about last time. If you have a favorite fan fiction that is sort of in the, you know, 5,000 word range that you'd like us to read on one of these episodes, and one that is safe for K, so no spoilers beyond episode 304, uh, you can send that to us on sofarscape.com slash fanfic. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by joining our Patreon from as little as $1 a month with Jeef packs and a great deal of love as your reward at sofarscape.com slash support. And if you have a synopsis of your own for an upcoming episode, you can submit that at sofarscape.com slash submit. You proud of me, Kay? Fantastic. <laughs> I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so Farscape, so good. Teaches my loves. There is no guilt. There is no blame. Only what is meant to be. Grow through your mistakes. And know that if patient, redemption will find you. We love you, Zan.